0: Welcome. You are listening to After School Detention on Open Lines Radio. I'm, I'm glad you joined us today. Um, I wanted to uh, to just take a minute and and talk about kind of the, why I started doing these After School Detention um, episodes and interspersing them between our original content. And it's mostly because I just I want I want to remind you and remind myself that there's always room to grow and that we should always be learning. And that we um, should always, we should be taking time out of our um, ego-driven lives to listen to some words of other people. And there are also some kind of hidden gems out there that aren't being heard. And so I want to also bring those to you so you can hear them. And so I thought it was only fitting that um, with the death of Ram Dass... That we start off 2020 with a lecture by Ram Dass, and this what this was um, delivered in uh, 1995, and it's called a gathering of souls. And I find it fitting because that's what we're doing here at Open Lines Radio. That like, that's what this is. It's a gathering of souls. Um, it, it's it, there's there's not a singular voice. It's a a multifaceted interdimensional creature creation and uh, I'm happy that you I'm thank you for, for listening and I'm happy that you found us and if you've been listening I hope you continue to listen and I hope you also continue uh, also decide to um, add your voice um, think about it think about putting your voice to um, the open lines radio experience so that uh, you know we can just you know we, we need it's all about diversity and it's all about making the group bigger and the more diverse the group the bigger the group clearly cuz more diversity means more so anyway let's clear some karma let's learn some things let's open ourselves up to the um always the loving words of Ramdas and let's have a killer year
1: poem by Rumi. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They are in each other all along. That last line, interesting. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere, they are in each other all along. This year, last year it was two planes, any two. This year, I'm pushing three planes. (laughs) Out of the infinite variety of planes, I'm just pushing three. One is what we would call the ego plane. That will include the physical, mental, and emotional bodies. Then we'll call the second one the soul plane and that will include the way in which you are a somebody awareness. You're still somebody, you are an entity with unique karma. And the third plane is the plane of pure awareness, which is really not a plane, but we'll use the word planes now. We could use spheres, but we'll just use planes for fun. Don't think that planes mean the higher is better. They're just different from one another. So if I were to review our storyline thus far, from, let's say, the soul's point of view, the middle level, I would say I had some business to do which we will call karma, psychic DNA, some some ill-digested attachments, aversions and attractions. And that karma led to the manifestation of me in a physical form. In other words, I took birth in an incarnation. And when I was born, I was still fully out there with my karma to run through, of course. But that karma involved a certain experience of socialization. And in that process, I knew ultimately of my separateness. I experienced my separateness from God or from all or from something. In other words, I began to get... Attached to the form in which I had manifested. I'm now speaking as a soul. Now, as I get sort of encrusted into a form, there is a kind of a moment of incredible fear when the form starts to solidify enough so there's a boundary, so there is a form and other, there is uh and other you pinch your toe and you pinch the bedpost and they're different and you keep pinching and pinching and pinching and pinching and you're learning that's me and that's not me or something like that. Now it can be as early as when you leave, when you get born, when you leave the womb. It could be that separation or it could be the separation when you first experience um, sucking and there's no milk coming. That is when you experience the separateness so that the universe isn't all one thing anymore. There's, there's an awareness that there's something separate. You have separated. And you have gotten caught in a part of the universe rather than the awareness you are the whole universe. So you have what Gurdjieff talks about, been imprisoned by your own mind in some way. I mean this is the mind that's done this. Because the hunger was so strong, and it wasn't being fulfilled, and there was pain. And this is, these learnings are very deep when there is an emotional component to them. And most of us got very deeply socialized into being somebody, into our incarnation. It's as if there is a, when you take an incarnation, and I'm just going out, this is advanced course. When you take an incarnation, there is—it's uh, like getting into a spacesuit, and the whole program for running that spacesuit on this plane of existence—physical, mental, emotional, social, psychological—that whole mechanism is something that is like software in the system, and it has to be developed. You—you you develop the software, and that happens through your DNA code, through your socialization process, through. All the people you meet and talk to. But notice an interesting thing that your whole sense of separateness is really rooted from some discomfortable, dis uncomfortable experience of being separate. In other words, you didn't jump into separateness as a celebration for the most part you were kind of pushed into separateness. Maybe you would have jumped a moment later, and maybe you did jump, and that's just the experience you had was one of pushing against it. Because you obviously did, and I did. The other day, when I was thinking back over all of this in my life, I can experience that the power of my mother to deliver milk to me and keep me fulfilled dry and warm and loved... I traced how the separation from my ability to be that, so that I got into separateness. So then I tried to control it. So as soon as you become separate somebody, you get into a power thing because, as a somebody, as a baby, you're awfully little, and the forces around you are very big. And so I, re- I somehow experience in myself having experienced The pain of separateness and having not the power to control that That I couldn't get what I wanted when I wanted it once I became a somebody who wanted something And I only became the somebody who wanted something because I couldn't because I didn't have what I wanted all the time I hadn't even had a want up until then I had to learn wants by the way I want to And it really, most of my life, from all my education, because these were all surrogates for that power person that held the control of my being. And I developed, as you did, incredible skills of looking into other people's eyes to know who you were. Am I good? Am I enough? Am I achieving? Am I successful? Am I beautiful? Am I fulfilling? Am I attractive? Am I... Smart enough, whatever judgmental thing you imposed it on yourself. And I on myself. And I kept trying to be satisfied all the time through various things. But notice how all of it, all of my separateness was built on relationship. My relationship with my mother with my father, with my surrogates, with all of the things that then became so on, and how much the whole web of what I call my ego is basically relational. So, uh, for example, I'm working on the field of aging now, unconscious aging, and what I notice is the karmic effect of that in old people, when they end up feeling lonely, isolated, lack of self-respect, da-da-da-da, That's the whole chronicle of things that are primarily relational things, and they are suffering because of them, because of their identification with that. And as you know my story, I guess I would have continued to be that somebody, having then been trained, as you know, in somebody specialness, just like you were. So we aren't just somebody, we're somebody special. And then we all go around being somebody special, and we form relationships based on our specialness and their specialness, and we look for symbiosis around our specialness, and it's all very dramatic. It's all as the world turns, and it's all so poignantly, beautifully horrible, and so thick, and everybody's in it right up to their eyeballs. And it, does she, does he, will they, won't they, can I, can't I, what will he think if I do? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello, goodbye. I miss you. I love you. Go away. It's, it's all relational stuff. I mean, you just look at your language, your concepts, all of it. It's so thick. You keep saying, I want to be alone. <laughs> don't kid yourself. You don't want to be alone, you wouldn't exist. <sighs> Funny way, you only exist relationally at that level. It's the funny thing about the ego, how deeply it is in relationships. And that's why I got interested in what happened in the 60s when was a certain thing culminated that was kind of bubbling around in the, in the history of the culture, which was the um, undivided loyalty to individualism. After communism and after fascism and communism, we got into individualism, the new ism. In it, what's in it for me? Am I growing? Who am I? What do I need? What do I want? What do I desire? Almost a worship of our somebodyness. I have a right to be somebody, and that came out of years of feeling you didn't. Of carrying around the feeling I'm powerless and something I'm wrong because I don't I'm not the whole universe like I used to be, which you experience as a baby. It must be incredibly painful, the moment not just of physical birth but of psychological birth, of the experience of separateness as an entity, when you have been the whole thing. I've described uh, in many lectures and on tape, and I can't do the whole story, but the experience in Hawaii with that community of meditators in Hawaii, where finally they had pushed me to my limits, and they all were had their hands on my body, and I was screaming and screaming and screaming as to their orders, and it suddenly I was back in a crib in my room in at home, and um, I was screaming the same way, and my mother was holding me down, just had her hand on my chest. I was having a temper tantrum, obviously, of some sort, and she was just being a good mother. She wasn't giving way to it. She wasn't reinforcing temper tantrums, which you didn't do in those days. Later you did, and look what happened. But she didn't, and she wasn't out of a, like, I'm a mean mother. She was just calming me down, but it was firm. And the firmness had a resistance to my power. I couldn't control the situation anymore. And the experience was one of loss of power. And when I see, when I look at business, and I look at government, and I look into the personalities of all of the politicians and Don't you see all that fear and don't you see all that sense of not being powerful enough? And if I had the power, it would all be all right. It's we are caught in a drama so thick of ego, ego structures, ego constructs that have come out of our intellectual extrapolations from our basic root conceptual models of who am I and how the world works which has to do with fear, it has to do with feelings of pain of separateness, it has to do with with uh, power, it has to do with a yearning, a yearning to come back to a certain feeling at home in the universe, at home, at one, mm. And I think most of what we live with in politics, in um, business, in most of our professions, most of our lifestyles, deeply, deeply, deeply emerged in these particular conceptual plane of reality that everybody conspires to see as real. Like in the book I'm doing with aging, it's absolutely amazing how this society conspires to define what aging is, and then sucks everybody into believing it's true, and then they live it out. And it's a hype, it is a complete hype. It's a creation of mind. So that if you look at aging, in almost all the literature, it is seen as a problem. That's the first one. Isn't that bizarre? You know, it's like the leaves turn red in the fall, and you say, We got a problem. Let's get out there with a green can and paint them all green. What the hell? We can't have these leaves turning red. What's that about? I mean, it's so absolutely bizarre. Bizarre. The first thing you have to realize is you're in prison, you've been had. You bought into a conceptual model that you got trained into from birth to deal with your separateness, and it's a whole structure that you've invested with reality. And from your point of view, it's the only reality most of the time. When my father would say, Richard, come back to reality, (laughs) that's the one he meant. Now, where are all the other planes of reality when we're so busy investing in this one rather uninteresting plane? It's not uninteresting. It's actually passionately beautiful, but it's also uninteresting. If it's your only one, it's a very sparse. It's like having not having cable. But the minute you realize you are in prison, that's the relative reality perception. You realize you got a problem. You realize there's more than one channel. You realize there's another place from which to look. However you want to say it, you understand the theory of relativity. You understand that everything is real depending on where you're looking at it from. Just like you dreamt last night and in that dream that stuff was real and you woke up and then you said i woke up into what i mean you you ultimately must realize you just woke up into another one of them <laughs> didn't the one you were in last night seem real didn't it seem like you were in a hall with all those people <laughs> and then you woke up and they're all gone still here long dream (laughs) and once I had realized that I was in prison which is what my first mushroom trip absolutely ascertained for me with certainty or as certain as relative reality can get (laughs) I looked back at all the years in which I had taken it all so quote seriously And I thought, didn't I have any clues, any of those years? I mean, did I go 30 years without a clue that I was caught in some weird psychosis, group psychosis? At that time, I didn't didn't quite see it. Over the years, I began to see that as my vision of where I was looking from changed, then a number of things that had been in the background in my life started to come out as figure, And things that were figures started to recede into background and suddenly I could see that there was a web of that information and that wisdom available, but I was busy not seeing it because of the intense nature of the plane I was seeing. The interesting example of that uh, that predicament was the one um, uh, in which my guru said to me on the second time I saw him after he the first day he told me how my mother had died, the second day he said, your mother is a great saint. And I said, didn't Maharaji say was a great saint? And the translator asked Maharaji. Maharaji said, no, is a great saint. And she was dead. So she was a dead great saint. So what was that? And what I experienced at the moment he said that was the realization that my mother wasn't who I had thought she was, that I had trapped her in being that Jewish middle class nurturing, very responsible mother. And that was just who she had incarnated as. And he was saying she's a great being. And suddenly, at that moment, there was a figure ground reversal. And the very few, maybe four or five times in our life that I could remember when there had been that reversal and where we had recognized one another as fellow beings One example that I always use is she and I were coming back from the dentists I was maybe nine so and we came to a stoplight and we were playing a game to see who could hold a note the longest and we were both screaming at the top of our lungs and We looked over and there was a man in the next car looking at us as if we were both completely insane and there was a moment when our whole game of mother and child dissolved into the uh, the hate of the moment and At that moment we were outside of our roles for a moment and then back in and Those were so few and yet they had existed and it's interesting after he said that Ever after that's who she and I have been with one another and all that other stuff has disappeared or dissolved into the ground and it's why I say to people when they're grieving you're grieving for all the forms of the incarnation but why you're grieving is because you connected with love to the deeper nature of the other person and when you stop Filling your mind with your self pity, anger, hope, fear, wishing, da da da, and quiet, you experience nothing happened. Nobody went anywhere. It is barely because I've measured you in terms of your forms. I've reduced you into form. And now you're dead and you up leveled me. You said, Find me now. Go ahead. You really love me? Find me. And you keep wanting the form back, because that's, that's the one that turns you on. But ultimately, you have to turn on from somewhere else. Otherwise, you're always desperate for external rushes. So the awakening is, the, is an awakening, could be said to be, I mean, the word awakening is used in the spiritual literature, could be said to be the moment when you realize you're in prison, the moment when you experience another reality, the moment when you see there are other ways of looking at it all. I mean, really other. Really other. I'm not talking about other places in your thought process, but other. Now, what you call that place from which you look at your life when before you were just busy Busy thinking you were it, your incarnation life. Where do you look at it from? And that's where we're using the word soul, which could, at the deepest levels of the use of the word wiz, uh, witness, could be that, but usually it isn't. Now let's look at the soul's predicament. The soul had some karma to work out, took an incarnation, got lost in the incarnation and then starts to awaken and realize that it has just taken an incarnation and it had to get lost and go through the whole process of awakening for the incarnation to work out the karma. This is not an error in the system. The predicament of the word soul is that it's got all kinds of uh, Christian overlay i guess it's got jewish overlay and probably every other religious overlay too i don't mean to lay it on the christians just that they are so soulful (laughs) and 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 actually that's because that plane is a wonderful leverage plane to get able to see the plane you've been stuck on It's a very useful plane. It's like a step in a ladder and it allows you to take your pressure off your foot on the lower rung because you're on the middle rung. So that you could say that one of the ways of awakening is you awaken to realize you are a soul that has been lost for quite a while in an incarnation. Which you created or which is the manifest of what your karma needs. It's all fine. There's no errors. It's just interesting. Oh my God, have I been had. I'm not that being at all. And the experience of the awakening of the soul, which one is not just the awakening, because with my mother and all, we were awakening into that place of just being two beings, sharing the peculiarity of the predicament we found ourselves in as an incarnate, as incarnates. Like as Golem said, what are we doing here where this is real? What are we doing stuck in this place where it's real? That's the lazy man's guide to enlightenment. So, from the soul's point of view, as you start to awaken, you see the way in which the incarnation sticks to you as you're sort of shaking it off, like shaking off water or stuff like that. Now, there's a tendency, because you've been trapped in the incarnation for so long, when you awaken, to see it in negative terms. It trapped me, it's thick, it's heavy, it's something, and you push against it. And that's called, it's like the renunciate path. I just won't think of rhinoceros, you know. I just will push away life, and then I will I will push away incarnation, and then I will be as sore as a soul. In other words, I want to get high, and I want to push away the low. And low and high are still seen as value things that higher is better than lower Higher, I feel connected to the universe. I feel I'm in my soul Lower I come down back into my psychodynamic social physical somebody specialness Trapped back here again From the soul's point of view the the curriculum of the soul Has two components to it. They're really interesting. It's the middle level remember now First of all, it's working with its incarnation and it sees ultimately that Buddha was absolutely right on That the clinging of mind the attraction and the aversions of mind are what juice the whole system and the suffering and the whole shtick So the soul is using the experiences of incarnation to get lost in, then to awaken out of, to see one's predicament, and to get to the point where one can be, as Christ said, in the world but not of the world. You are not pushing away your incarnation because that's an aversion. And you can't afford any aversions anymore. Because aversions are from the ego level. The soul doesn't have aversions, the soul just sees aversions and attractions within the ego. Every time you're identified with an attraction or an aversion, you're identified with your ego. So the job of extricating oneself into one's soul is slowly cultivating those qualities which allow you to see the whole process and to calm yourself into realizing that your incarnation is about extricating yourself from attractions and aversions so that you are not lost in incarnation anymore. But it doesn't mean pushing against it, as you'll soon find out in the horny celibate period. (laughs) Because if you push against it, it's still got you. The game is to go beyond that into the point where you are fully in the world and fully not in the world. There are stages where you get into your soul where you say, oh, I miss the passions of life, meaning the passions, the excitements that were caused by being lost in it. And you think, I'll never have those again. I'll never have my first romance. I'll never have this, and I'll never have that. Because those were so adrenaline-rushy, heady stuff. You must remember. And that's a lot like what is often called the dark night of the soul, where you have sort of realized that you're not going to have the intensity of the excitement that came from being totally lost into the linear drama and not knowing how it comes out. It all comes out the same. (laughs) It all turns back into whatever it is. (laughs) That's the nature of the transitory nature of phenomena, (laughs) whether you like it or not. The soul is unique. It has its unique karma. It's working it out through incarnation. As it awakens to its own existence, it starts to shed the attractions and the aversions that had it stuck and closed down into the prison of incarnation. It awakens, so now the soul is present. And the incarnation is unfolding. Its storyline is continuing. Ramdas is continuing. Its story goes on. Hello. How are you? Yes. I'll do that. Hello. Good evening. This is Ramdas. That's all the storyline. And slowly, more and more behind it is just, ah, wow. Look at that one. Mild curiosity at first. That's a subtle attachment. Fascination. My. You wouldn't have believed that, would you? The synchronicity was appalling. (laughs) And then you get to the point of... And then the point of it's all precious. See, you can't experience the all-precious, beautiful yum-yum-yum of the beloved as long as you're afraid of being trapped by it. You've got to get through your original uh, reaction to the trauma of what you've been through, of being trapped. When the soul wakes up, it's, it's like, oh, I mean, it's very shaky. Very shaky. It isn't, of course, but it thinks it's shaky. So now when somebody says, I have a special relationship with you, The question is, do souls have special relationships? Egos certainly do. Souls are working out their stuff through ego special relationships. But the question is, do you want to identify with a special relationship, (laughs) or do you want to identify with a soul? And if it's a soul, we just, you here, I'm here, hi. Well, what have we got to do? Well, this time we'll just wave. No, this time let's, you be my father and I'll be your child. No, this time, let's be competitors. Okay. It's like when the Dalai Lama was asked what he thought of the Big Bang Theory, he said, which one? <laughs> 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 and the mature relationships that we develop that you, when you when you work on yourself deeply enough, And you meet another person who is working on themselves deeply enough. Is we meet just as you here, I'm here. And then if we have a dance to do, we dance. And if we don't have a dance to do, we don't dance. But the dance or the not dance doesn't matter to either of us. And yet we love each other deeply. Deeply. And I don't mind really playing with different ones of you in these different ways as if it really matters. But it's much more fun if you also realize it doesn't matter. Much more fun. The game is much higher. And I keep saying to everybody, hey, play it a different way. Come on out. It's like having a ball bouncing outside at sunset. And everybody's got their nose pressed against the window saying, we can't come out. Mother said, it's too late. We can't come out and i'm just waiting for somebody to come out and play and most of you we play for moments and then people go back into stuff and i go back into stuff and that's our work is to extricate ourselves from having to look at how we are with each other as egos rather than as souls and i think it's a confusion the term soulmates I mean, I can understand it. I can see souls traveling together through series of incarnations because they have work to do. Most of the people that use the word soulmate do it from an ego level. And there's a whole way of describing spiritual planes from ego that is really basically ego stuff. A lot of the New Age movement is that. It is basically an ego rip-off of spiritual... Concepts by people who still want power because they are rooted in fear. The soul isn't rooted in fear, the soul is doing fine. And when Maharaji said to me, Ramdas, don't you see it's all perfect? He was saying, Hey, couldn't you come up for air for a second? You know, couldn't you come out and play a little bit? And I'm saying, No, it's real. Damn it, it's wrong. It's bad. There's good and there's evil, and this is evil. And he's saying, We'll wait. You know, he's flipping through the deck of incarnations and seeing that about 100,000 incarnations down the line, I will say, Oh, God, you were high. <laughs> but he's in no rush. Where's he going to go? <laughs> uh, I mean, when souls look at people who are busy being egos, just realize how poignant it all looks. How poignant it all looks. And you love the person, and you, but you love the soul, and the the storyline is so poignant. But my storyline's poignant. I mean, my storyline's no more interesting to me than yours is to me. It's all vitally interesting. It is, and it's all empty. I'll give you vital if you'll allow empty. If you don't buy empty, you can't have vital. See, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you've got two choices. Either I'm insane or you are. And I haven't the faintest idea. I wish I could help you. (laughs) Because it seems real to me what I'm saying to you. (laughs) So good luck. The fun is that when the hubbub and clamor of ego entrapment gets lightened, and I mean lightened so that you're not pushing against it, but so you're really in it, but you're not caught in it. Like taking care of my father through the years of his last years, was going from being caught in doing it from one level, which was ego level, slowly to extricating until we were souls just completing the business of ego and incarnation together. So as it gets lighter, not through avoidance, but lighter through harmoniously fulfilling one's dharma, fulfilling one's stuff on earth, doing what your thing is, hearing your uniqueness and manifesting, just not getting caught in it as you get lighter into all of that then the soul's initial business comes to light which is its relationship to the one or to the to the ah uh, to the non no words the what the finger's pointing at the finger of religion points at something it's the mystery it's the relation of the soul to the mystery And that ultimately is the only game in town. That's the language of the mystic poetry. It's the language of the soul yearning to be with God, to be in God, to be one with what is, to be beyond boundary, to ultimately rend the Strings that keep a boundary between something and something else. In other words, it's to become in love, which is boundaryless. It is to die into love. And what's happened, if you notice the sequence, is you went from one into soul, soul took birth into separate cottonness. Separateness awakes to soul, and then when soul is in harmony, got its act together, then soul's yearning for the coming back out of its own ultimate separateness that is created by its the karmic structure of it all, then it starts to come back into the one. And that yearning is the call towards the beloved. And many of you know, because I've read this at almost every retreat, these words from Ananda Maima. She said, This body has lived with father, mother, husband, and all. This body has served the husband, so you may call it a wife. It has prepared dishes for all, so you may call it a cook. It has done all sorts of scrubbing and menial work, so you may call it a servant. But if you look at the thing from another standpoint, you will realize that this body has served none but God. For when I served my father, mother, husband, and others, I simply considered them as different manifestations of the Almighty and served them as such. When I sat down to prepare food, I did so as if for God. Whatever I did, I did in a spirit of divine service hence i was not quite worldly though always engaged in household affairs i had but one ideal to serve all as god to do everything for the sake of god now can you hear there's the whole ego storyline going bengali woman husband, wife da da does it all but she's on the level of soul doing her life as an offering to bring her to the Beloved. When Hanuman is with Ram and Ram says to Hanuman, Who are you, Hanuman? And Hanuman says, When I don't know who I am, I serve you. When I know who I am, I am you. Okay? Now we're talking about the second and the third planes that I'm asking you to consider. Because the second plane is the soul. And you and I are fellow souls that have taken incarnation and we're meeting in this room in Marin with our storylines coming from distances, all of our life stuff. And we're souls coming to meet as it's a convention. It's a party of souls. It's a party of souls. And we're meeting each other through our our psyches and personalities and stuff. But behind it, we're laughing. Far out. What happened to you this trip? Well, I really had, you should have seen the, my God, what happened in my childhood, you wouldn't believe. I've been milking it for 30 years. (laughs) I'm a fierce player, by the way. Don't make friends with an elephant trainer unless you have room for an elephant in your living room. (laughs) That's a great Hindu line, isn't it? Are you looking for me? I am in the next seat. My shoulder is against yours. You will not find me in stupas, nor in Indian shrine rooms, nor in synagogues, nor in cathedrals not in masses, nor keratins, nor in legs winding around your neck, nor in eating nothing but vegetables. When you really look for me, you will see me instantly. You will find me in the tiniest hour of time. Kabir says, student, tell me, what is God? God is the breath inside the breath. And so the predicament between the second and third planes that I'm asking you to consider is that the second has this intense yearning to merge back into the beloved. And as that merging occurs, the next surrender, the next death, if you will, it's not a ripping, it's just a movement into there is the realization that God has been all of it all along. That that final plane is something that includes everything. It excludes nothing. You could call that third plane, and we will for this weekend, awareness. Awareness. See, go back inside yourself. In a, moment, in a few moments, we're going to meditate together. So you don't have to do it heavy now, just hear the method. You go back inside yourself, and you sit down so that the trauma of your ego story quiets down just a little bit, and then you begin to feel the awareness, the presence of soul, which is still you and unique, and you're seeing your life unfold, you're seeing your clingings, your shadows, your loves, your passions, you're seeing it all. You're mindfully, bringing mindfulness to what is in incarnation. And if you keep going in and saying, but who's that? Who's that? Who am I? What is? Then even in, in Buddhist anatta, then even the sense of a separate entity turns out to just be more phenomena. You're even thinking of yourself as separate, finally dissolves. And you are indeed back where you started. It would be one way of saying it, although that implies start and back and beginning and end. You've been there all along. That's the bizarre thing. The realization you've been here all the way along. It was like I had a dream and I awoke. Oh. The dream was that I was separate, even as a soul. And then that soul and its separateness all comes into awareness, but as phenomena, as phenomena. And at that moment, you start to appreciate. If you go inward, you begin to appreciate how awareness is awareness. It's not your awareness. It's not my awareness. It's nothing personal. And when you and I rest in awareness, that is the culmination of love, Because you're not even a breath apart. You are the breath within the breath. When people say, may peace be with you, peace cannot be with the ego, except like for the briefest second. Because the ego is made up of stuff that doesn't allow for it. The soul is still moving towards something. Awareness is peace. Peace. And phenomena arise. I am a phenomenon in your consciousness at this moment. Just another moment. Just another moment. I guarantee you that within 10 hours, this will be gone. And there'll be even the memory of it gone. It'll come back, but it'll be gone. You'll be so busy getting supper that just in cutting the beans this moment will be gone. Where was it? Oh, I'll never forget this. I hope you will. (laughs) Because awareness is in the moment. It's not in moldering butterflies of memories of awareness. It's in the moment. It's so bizarre, as we will see this weekend as we keep playing with this, how you can go through time into timelessness. You can go through becoming into being. You can go into through meditation of planes of consciousness, of the witness and the deeper witness and the witness of the witness, and back in until it's just... And all of that keeps going... In and out and in and out and in and out. And that's an interesting one. Does it ever be all in at the same moment? I don't really know that. Because the way we see manifestations is always from one plane or another. Like the other quote of an under my ma that I use are the words on one plane speaking about another plane. It's the finger pointing at the moon. And once Paramahansa Yogananda asked Ananda Maima to tell him something of her life. Father, she said, there is little to tell. My consciousness has never associated itself with this temporary body. Before I came on earth, Father, I was the same. I grew into womanhood, but still I was the same. When the family in which I had been born made arrangements to have this body married, I was the same. And Father, in front of you now, I am the same. Even afterwards, though the dance of creation changes around me in the hall of eternity, I shall be the same. Can you hear who that is? It's you. That's peace. Do you hear that? That's equanimity. That's peace.
2: Yeah. Ooh. Ah.
1: Just the same. Loss, gain, fame, shame, pleasure, pain, life, death. Bloop, 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 bloop. Same. Ah. Boy, did you see that world end heavy, wasn't it? Now, see, this is the advanced course. I'm challenging you now to get all three planes going so that you are honoring the ego and you're playing your part and you're in your role and you're doing it all perfectly. The soul that is running off its karmic tab, well, there goes abuse. There's, you know, There's financial dismal failure. That's good. I needed one of those to fill in that square. Let's see. Mm. Mm. Comes a Republican administration. I need one of those. Uh, Comes a good golf score. I certainly needed one of those. (laughs) <laughs> Soul's running off its karma. Interesting, fascinating. Ah. And then at the same moment it's got the yearning, that yearning for the beloved. And we're going to talk later on sometime this weekend about relationships and about the difference between loving somebody and loving the beloved and where the somebodyness ends and what it is and how it reflects and mirrors. But the other part of the soul's business is its relationship to the one. And for the one, there is the play of all this stuff going on within itself. It's all an internal matter. Just souls, egos, stories, planes of consciousness, all within awareness. When you start to work with that ultimate plane, the kinds of lines you use are this five-line stanza from a Tibetan woman. Don't prolong the past. That's your personal history, by the way. Don't invite the future. How do you know how it's gonna come out? Don't alter your innate wakefulness. You don't have to do anything, just be. Don't fear appearances. Phenomena come up, including your actions. It's all phenomena. Nothing more than that. So now, ladies and gentlemen, fellow souls, awareness in drag, You now have the blueprint for the weekend. We're going to work within this blueprint. Question it, bring examples in, learn how to work with it and use it. That's what our business is together this weekend. Learning how to meet as souls, meet in awareness and meet as egos without being entrapped in any of it. In other words, how to be free in form.
2: i